Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And we're back. I love that kind of thought and stuff. So here's a, here's a great one and, and, and one that might be a great conversation because it's fresh off the press. Can children get the COVID-19 vaccine? Yes. Okay. The answer here is not yet. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. Feel. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10... We did not know each other, and we could not speak to each other, because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who was taking donations from the NRA, shame on you. I believed them when they said they were sleeping on concrete floors. I believe them. Children being separated from their parents in front of an American flag. I believe them. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if you're going to figure out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen. And here we are. I believe these women. You're wrong. I feel extremely lucky to, to be here with all of you fighting for justice, for equality, for the right for us to equally exist in this country. There were 329 uprisings, 257 cities within four and a half years. And neither Martin nor Fannie had any control over that. We might be headed to the promised land of speaking the truth and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. But their children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. And may God bless America. May God bless America. God yeah. Bless America. I, the Pfizer, were, we sh- I think the, the expectation is that this week the FDA is going to extend its emergency use authorization for, for the Pfizer vaccine for children ages 12 to 15 because mm-hmm. um, they have been doing ongoing clinical trials. We'll see how that goes. I'm not sure about Moderna. I, again, I need to double check. I don't want to say Moderna's, that Moderna's, time, Moderna's said that they're looking to get uh, their EUA towards the end of the month. Okay, yeah. That, so it looks like it's going to happen as well. That's good. Yeah, right. they they're so like what I was seeing, and, and this actually is a very interesting uh, topic of discussion because mm-hmm. this is something that Debbie and I had spoken about, but uh, this is something that I definitely want to have e- bring you in on this one, Dan. So Pfizer's data shows that what they're reporting is a hundred percent efficacy in children twelve through fifteen. 
Moderna's uh, data, what they said is, is that it's 96% effective uh, from ages 12 to 17, because the you know, caveat there, Pfizer tested down to age 16 uh, with their initial emergency use authorization. Moderna did uh, to 18, so they didn't have the 17 and 16 range that they lumped into this particular range. Mm. So the question, because mathematically speaking, nothing is 100% effective. So Dan, can you talk to us about why Pfizer might say that their vaccine is 100% effective and what does that actually mean? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. That's the heart of vaccination, right? So right. Um, first of all, when you're talking about efficacy, so the first of all, there's efficacy and effectiveness. Efficacy is a measure of how well the vaccine did in a clinical trial under carefully designed and tested conditions. Effectiveness is the same set of calculations, except just done in like a larger general populace. So efficacy is what is calculated in order to get authorization or approval. Effectiveness is what is calculated after the vaccine's been distributed for a while. And it's kind of joking, like not jokingly, but a euphemistically called like a phase four trial, like after the vaccine's been distributed. So the 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 definition of say vaccine efficacy is comparing the rates at which a disease occurs after vaccination among those who are vaccinated versus those who are not vaccinated. So you Pfizer can say 100% eff efficacious against COVID because that means that of the people who were vaccinated in that trial, zero got the condition that they were looking for. Like, so in this case, it might have been symptomatic COVID. Like, you actually feel ill and test positive, right? If you have zero people in who got the vaccine and then over the course of the trial then got symptomatic COVID, then that is 100% effective or 100% efficacious, excuse me, for the vaccine. But whenever you expand out from the efficacy of a clinical trial to the mm. effectiveness of just the general population, inevitably, you're going to see the effectiveness numbers drop a little bit compared to the efficacy numbers. So for example, uh, vaccine efficacy for the Pfizer vaccine in the first initial EUA was I think like 92 or 93%, again, double check on me. But then a lot of the, a lot of the um, uh, the, the studies of the effectiveness in different populations have shown it to be like 85 to 90% effective. Because when you increase your sample size, when you increase the number of people who are kind of measured in the experiment, you're going to have a higher likelihood of catching a couple of people who do still get COVID or do still have some kind of condition right. um, as well. So those numbers are going to drop. So a, a lot of it is a function of how large your group is. Um, but you can say 100% efficacious, but you don't just say it's 100% effective. It's 100% efficacious in the group of uh, participants that were studied for the purpose of this trial. Right. right. And so that's always important to think about. Again, epidemiology is the science of denominators. What is your denominator? How many people were in this trial? Of the people in this trial, 100% efficacious. Of the people in the world, you know, a couple hundred million who probably will get the Pfizer vaccine by the end of this year, you know, what is the effectiveness when you compare it among the couple hundred million people who did or did not get vaccinated? Very right. different denominators. You're going to expect some variability between those numbers. Does that answer your question, Jeffrey? Yes, that is that is exactly what I, I was going to go with. Like for me, like as a data person, when I see that something is 100%, you know, that immediately makes me question what did their sample look like because right. uh, and and how did they how did they structure their sample because nothing is ever 100% effective so immediately to me there are questions of you know was you know did they cherry pick potentially different things in order to make it more effective or efficacious i should say um versus you know like with moderna they had 96% efficacy so to me that that you know it looks a little bit more realistic in that, you know, it's closer to what their numbers were. The initial numbers for Pfizer and Moderna were 95 and 94.1% uh, efficacious. In the real world, looks like both of them dropped down to about 90%, uh, at least when I was reading the Israeli study on, on Pfizer that, that it dropped down to 90%. The U.S. Uh, healthcare providers, both uh, for Pfizer and Moderna, that dropped down to 90%. And I'm sure that as we get more data, that's going to change even more because one of the other things we have to keep in mind is the fact that there are now variants that are out there that, you know, yeah. while the vaccine does provide, you know, still significant protection, 
those variants are still able to break through and breakthrough cases is something that's coming up. Yeah, so before we go on to breakthrough cases though, let's they, with, they weren't with, tested in the original trials. That's exactly, thing. exactly. But that's all there have been additional um, studies of vaccine effectiveness against right. some of these, um, these variants. And there was a study, I think that just came out last week that showed that um, the Pfizer vaccine was e very effective against um, the B117 variant. So um, there's another thing to keep in mind is that when you talk about effect, versus efficacious like you to jeffrey's point like what are you actually studying right. there are four metrics that are being just like talked about for um vaccine efficacy for covid the first is asymptomatic infection as in is the virus going to be able to get into your body and you test positive sorry asymptomatic or any infection of any kind right asymptomatic or asymptomatic right okay if, if you test po how, what is your likelihood of testing positive if you got the vaccine relative to your odds of like getting testing positive without getting the vaccine. Ah. The second, that's the first one. The second one is symptomatic COVID, right? Some people test positive for COVID and don't have any symptoms. Mm. A lot of people do get symptoms. If you're only looking to see some people who check whether or not people who uh, test positive and are sick, then that's like your effectiveness numbers are probably going to be higher because you're deliberately excluding people who tested positive and not feeling symptoms, right? So that's one way to go from like, you might be 90% effective against asymptomatic COVID, but you or asymptomatic or symptomatic COVID, but then you might be 95% effective against symptomatic COVID because right, you're excluding right. the positive tests with no symptoms. Mm. Then there's hospitalizations or severe COVID, and then there's deaths, right? So COVID infection of any kind, COVID with symptoms, Co severe COVID with hospitalization or COVID resulting in death, right? Those are the four metrics that are being studied for every vaccine, every vaccine trial, right? So most of the time when people talk about vaccine efficacy or effectiveness, the number that they're throwing around is uh, symptomatic COVID infection. And that's because the clinical trials for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were based on that, right? We, when, they were when they got the emergency authorization, it was not based on data of whether or not folks tested positive or not. It was whether or not they were sick and then tested positive. Gotcha. So that's something to keep in mind about, you know, when you're talking about how data are presented, like Jeffrey is making a fantastic point about that. Those are the four metrics you should be looking at at every study. And what we found, fortunately, is that these vaccines are very effective against people getting sick from COVID, but they're also very effective against people just testing positive at all. So, right. you know, if that's and being an asymptomatic carrier. So important to, to have that distinction and keep that in mind that you're not just looking at COVID, no COVID, like how you define COVID is, is there are mm. semantics in there. But the very sick, the reoccurring, that, that was a happy, happy thing to discover that we, we might not actually be able to get the disease again. What I want to say is it's kind of like efficacy is like Michael Jordan throwing free throws in practice, you know, and hitting a hundred percent of his three free throws. And then the other one is more of the general public with all free throws. And what we're saying is nobody's dying <clears throat> from throwing a free throw, but they are missing from time to time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or or Michael Jordan doing, you know, or any basketball player shooting three free throws in practice versus in a game. You know, right. or yep. it's 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 a really good analogy. It's like when you when you introduce other stuff that was not uh, included mm -hmm. in a carefully designed trial, there's gonna be stuff that makes things less perfect and right. that's okay that's to be expected what we don't want is efficacy to be 90 percent and effectiveness to be 20. Right. <laughs> right we don't want michael jordan falling on the floor having a heart attack after he throws a free throw and exactly what we're saying is that hasn't happened yet in fact he didn't even have to go to the hospital he never even got sick enough to stop throwing three throws you know? exactly exactly <laughs> so what do you do you think that if if I've already had COVID, do you think I should get the vaccine now? Yes. Yes. We're encouraging, uh, we're encouraging everyone to, um, to get the vaccine regardless of whether or not you've had COVID. And the reason is, um, with it's kind of a, how do I phrase this? We know how much, you know, COVID immunity, roughly speaking, is delivered into someone's body with the vaccine, right? They're right. very standardized dosages. We know the concentrations of the, the proteins, the spike proteins that are getting into people when you get the vaccine. And we know that on the whole, that level is a lot higher than a lot of people who get like a minor disease or minor minor symptomatic infection. Right. So when you have a stronger introduction of you know antigen into your body, um, you have a stronger memory built against it. And we kind of know that that's really stable. A lot of people who have asymptomatic COVID or mildly symptomatic COVID might not get all that much virus into their body, 
And mm -hmm. so because of that, there's not as much exposure to the immune system to build memory, and we don't really know how long that immunity can last. That's there is some point, evidence, yeah. like the, the CDC guidance is looking out 90 days, like having, we know there's some short-term immunity to, to reinfection of COVID with most of the time, 90 days or, or, or more. Some data suggests that it could be up to six or seven months, if not more. But again, that's also limited by the fact that COVID's not been around for that long. Right. But we are confident that, you know, COVID vaccination, because there's a lot more antigen introduced into the body than a lot of you know, minor infections, most people are going to be more immune from getting the vaccine than um, whether or not they, um, they got COVID. And in fact, there are some data that have come out to suggest that, right? People who've gotten COVID without getting vaccinated versus people who've gotten COVID and gotten vaccinated one or two doses versus people who didn't get COVID mm -hmm. and got vaccinated, right? And what we see is people who had COVID on the whole have lower levels of antibodies than people who got any vaccination of any kind on the whole. We have those data, those have been published. So nice. we have the proof that that works. And that's why you say like COVID plus vaccine is more protective than just getting the vaccine. That's another thing too. So right. if you want more immunity, get the vaccine, even if you've gotten COVID. And, and I can want, speak to the mathematics want. of this too, because I was actually studying the math on this one. So when they were grant, when they when they looked at the study, and so there's a lovely uh, lovely set of box box grams and histogram charts about what that uh, immune uh, immunous, uh, immune system response looks like. So you know they actually broke it down quite nicely, so that way you could see what what it looked like. So there was immunity to uh, the immunity that people that had COVID would have later was actually pretty scattered all over the place. So right. it was, you know, it was, it was up and down. It was, it was, you know, there was a certain level of immunity to have that you would have, but it would be less predictable. Then there was the immunity um, that you had after you, you got one shot of one of the COVID vaccines. And so it was a bit more predictable how much uh, immunity you would have, but it was still all over the place. Then you had uh, COVID, uh, plus the, uh, one shot of one of the vaccines. And that actually got even tighter in terms of the response that they were seeing, but it was higher. So there was more there. What they were seeing is that there were more neutralizing antibodies and, and more markers there that would say that the person would have an expected response. But the highest yet was when you had two doses of the vaccine, that that grouping became even tighter yet and even larger. Right. So with that, you know, what we're saying, what, what we're seeing mathematically speaking is, is that between not getting the vaccine, getting COVID, getting COVID plus one shot or getting two shots of the vaccine, the ability to predict your body's uh, immunoresponse to it, mathematically speaking, is, is that when you get two shots, you're going to have a much more predictable immune response in that you're going to have more antibodies, statistically speaking, and that response is going to be far more predictable than just leaving it to natural chance or even just having had the virus and then getting the shot. Yeah. That's a fantastic description. Uh, the Jeffrey, you you nailed it. Uh, I took the liberty of. I know we're recording by Zoom. I just dropped the link to the article that Jeffrey and I were referring to. It's in the chat. So, Ooh, nice. uh, Jason, if you wanted to to share that with the followers, that's mm -hmm. something that it's like a it's a it's a, some of the the text is kind of dense um, and really jargon filled, but you can really see there's a wonderful graph that shows exactly what Jeffrey's talking about. And folks who who are or who don't have a a really strong science background can really. See see the difference of like it's very well designed it's it's a very simple and effective graph so i, I think that's a, a really powerful message to show so that I link like is that. In the, for for people to share okay i just want to say that like if everybody gets the vaccine in two in a two month span we know when it starts to run out but if half of us get the vaccine in the two month period but others of us got the virus six months earlier then we're we're our the immune the length of immunity varies and some people it's harder to quash the virus when it has somewhere to go but if we all get it at once then there's nowhere for the virus to go for the amount of time that we're all immune at the same time and i think that's a big deal you know what i mean absolutely yeah so dan now yeah. i got one for you this one's gonna be a fun one so one of the best pieces of news that I've seen here coming up is, is that, you know, Moderna is already testing and tooling up one of their variant boosters. And they're showing that there is a, a statistically significant response 
in the immune system and that it looks to be effective against the uh, Brazil and South African variants. And that's Moderna's uh, testing that one out right now. When it comes to boosters, are we going to see similar trials based on you know how we're seeing the COVID vaccine now? Or when it comes to boosters, do you have to go through that process all over again in order to get that approval in order for a booster to be used? Yes. My understanding, again, if, if folks have better information than this, they can always you know fact check me. But my understanding is yes, for, for a booster shot, it's just the same as you know going through a whole additional you know series of trials because you need to show that that booster shot is safe and effective, right? So if if the um, if the uh, booster shot does not actually substantially improve immunity, then it might not get it authorized or approved. Um, so it's going to be important for Moderna and, and for Pfizer, who are doing something similar, uh, mm. to show that a booster shot is not only safe, but it actually is effective. Because if you start set, giving everyone booster shots and they, they really don't substantially improve people's immunity, then there's no point in having a mass campaign to get spending hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, to get the vaccine distributed to folks. So it's, it's going to be important for them to go through the same process, to show the data, to submit it to the FDA for their review and to get either EUA or approval uh, for this booster dose. Um, but I'm optimistic to see that. And um, I really do want to see some of the raw data myself. That'd be exciting. Yeah, it would. This kind of stuff is actually exciting to me because like, you know, that's, I think one of the biggest things that we've all been concerned about, at least in the, in, in the scientific community is, is that what does it take to get a booster tooled up with with these new mRNA systems from Pfizer and Moderna, mm -hmm. you know, that's I, I you know because we've always had this you know issue of lagging behind uh, new variants of a disease that come up. The ability for these companies to tool up new boosters is going to be very important because as we're seeing in India right now, there is a, it, oh, it is man. a huge problem. And if you think that this is only something that could happen to India, they only crossed our threshold for deaths for the first time. Like we, we had it bad for a while and India's right. finally hit the death threshold that we have. But in terms of cases, I mean, it's astronomical. And the lack of infrastructure is terrible. I like to think that India is what we would have been if Donald Trump had been reelected. Yeah. Oh, I, I, my heart does. I don't want to say my heart goes out to India, but it really is a very difficult situation. And one thing that's been particularly alarming for me is to look at um, not just the case numbers, but the positivity rate. Right. right. So when right. you do testing, what we've been monitoring for, and there's been a lot of policies, especially in Pennsylvania, where I live, uh, a lot of policies have been implemented based not only on number of cases, but on positivity rate, because the rate of tests that you're doing that are positive is a, a kind of a, a, a barometer, if you will, mm -hmm. for the percentage of true COVID cases you're actually capturing. So we were trying to like have enough COVID testing so that, you know, positive test rates are 5% or lower. The most recent numbers out of India and their most recent surge with the cases going super, super high, they're, they're above our threshold for COVID cases and their positivity rate is over 20% and is rising. So it's not just that the numbers of cases are rising, it's that the percent of positive, uh, positive cases is going up, which means there are, for every case that we're identifying by testing, there are a bunch more that we're not. Right. So the true number, the true burden of COVID that's hitting India is a lot higher than what we're even measuring. And that's really concerning. And they do but have yeah. four, four times the population size of us. Speaking they of do. Yeah, they do. And it's also like because of, there's a lot of um, rural areas in India where, you know, that, you know, vital statistics like mortality and births and deaths are not very effectively calculated because of lack right. of infrastructure. There are a lot of people dying that we're just not catching. You know, mm -hmm. so again, the death numbers are probably a lot higher because the 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 positivity rate is that barometer for how severe the the, the disease is and how much we're not catching. Right. Um, so it's it's it is really concerning. And for for a frame of reference, the um the moving average positivity rate in at least in my county in Pennsylvania, um, at the very peak of the pandemic, um, never really reached above I think fifteen to eighteen percent. Um, in the darkest parts of the, the 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 most brutal days of the winter, when we were really you know in mm -hmm. the shit, and they're already skyrocketing past twenty percent in India, and it's only going up. Wow! So it's really really serious. so. Yes, booster shots, um, additional development. But to to the point about um, uh, booster development, 
that's one of the beautiful things about uh, the development of these mRNA vaccines, right? Um, developing uh, a vaccine that is like a, a partial, uh, like a, a live attenuated or, or killed virus right. is a lot harder to do than with this mRNA. Like you just kind of, you can synthesize mRNA pretty easily. It's a very well-established thing to do. So you just mm-hmm. need to get the sequence to do the sequencing. You're like, okay, this is the sequence. So in theory, you know, a really good vaccine could be developed, um, a vaccine that, that, you know, is designed to, you know, boost immunity against a variant can be designed very quickly matter of days can be designed then it's like the testing and clinical trials and everything so we do have the capacity as uh, a scientific community to develop uh, immune boosters uh, or booster vaccines for variants very quickly it's just the question is you know are there going to be consequences are there going is the side effects going to be bad or you know mm-hmm. worries about immunity and everything or worries about um anaphylaxis or side effects and everything so i'm optimistic that with the mrna platform is very well designed to respond to variants it's just a question of will it actually work in practice because the theory is great sure but i mean it's no more dangerous than a peanut to some people at this point it might hurt some people it might not hurt some other people that doesn't mean we all should not eat a peanut (laughs) absolutely you know and that's and i think that's one of the things about like you know in, in speaking to dan's point you know, this is technology that was pretty much theoretical about 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. So the fact of the matter is, is, is that, you know, we had a pretty good idea that we could do this, but we just weren't quite there yet. Right. And so like our understanding of what all, you know, our, our understanding of what all the potential side effects were going to be, were very limited at the time. And now that we've had, you know, tests, we've had tests done, and then we've had a broader use by the population. And, you know, really this stuff has only been available to the public for about six months now. And in the beginning, very limited availability to the public. It's only now that we're starting to see broader availability. So from a data perspective, it's only going to be in the next few months that we're going to have a much broader understanding data wise, what we're even looking at. And that is going to go into the consideration of what could, what could happen with the booster shots. You know, that's, you know, two of the, two of the biggest enemies that we have in terms of math are time and data because you have to have both if, in and the reality is is that if you haven't had something out for a, a long a, a very long period of time you, the reality is is that you're not going to have a lot of data you could have something out for a long period of time and have little data because of lack of adoption but right in, in like these beginning stages where it's more about the availability like we had very limited availability but now as we're getting broader availability now time is going time is our enemy and our friend yeah i mean at the, in the beginning you don't know what data sets are important and what aren't are are either one of you confident in the data that was collected over the first year of this Absolutely. I mean, this yes. is one of the biggest data science projects in the history of civilization. Okay. I mean, we had we had the 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 whole concept of having a live updating system where people log their side effects of the vaccine into a national database that can right. be mined very quickly, and in a matter of like less than 10 days for scientists to be able to review that notice an alarming trend with the Johnson Johnson with this really severe blood clotting disease Mm -hmm. and be able to pause that. The fact that that was able to happen is an absolute marvel of modern science and an absolute marvel of the collaboration that's gone into it. So I'm very confident in it. And that's the thing that we have, we have more data about this vaccine than any vaccine developed in history or these vaccine platforms. So I'm very optimistic to see the future of this. And it has been really wonderful to see a lot of communities come together to make this happen. I know we're concerned about vaccine hesitancy. I know there's concerns about variants, but we have definitely proven to the, the universe that we can respond to global crises very effectively if we put our minds to it. So I'm very optimistic. What do you think, Jeffrey? From a from a data standpoint, I absolutely am confident in the data. I think you know once again, our you know going back to our biggest our biggest enemy was was time and data availability. Like even if we even if we don't talk about the COVID vaccine in general, but even just you know data surrounding COVID itself, you know you don't like there's probably a bunch of data out there that we don't have simply because we didn't know what we were looking for in the beginning. Right. And that's, and that's one of those, that's, that's unfortunately just the curse of any type of scientific revelation is, is that 
if you don't know that you should be looking for something, you're not looking for it until suddenly something is just blaring in your face. And it's like, okay, I need to look at this. I need to study this. And then from there, it's about having the availability to be able to study test it. You know, when you look at just how we were able to um, test for and identify COVID, even in the early days of the virus itself, testing was very limited and it wasn't very effective. Now, the efficacy, uh, the effectiveness of testing for the virus is a little bit better than it was, probably not as great as we would like it to be. But the data that we're getting is uh, now is far better than what it was in the beginning. And then from there, now being able to collect, log, and analyze data, you know, like to Dan's point, where now we're able to look and see, you know, what that spread looks like, what that positivity rate looks like, it, it is allowing us to, instead of using a sledgehammer mm-hmm. on a finishing nail, you know, now we can use just a little, you know, just the right-sized hammer to get this done, as long as we have community participation. In terms of the data that we're getting in, uh, from the vaccine itself, this is one of those things where there, inherently there's always going to be issues with self-reported data. And, mm-hmm. uh, and this is where it gets tough. With COVID, you know, and people reporting symptoms and going and getting tested, you have a discrepancy between people who, you know, once they figure out that they have COVID, then there's the question of, well, why should I go and get tested? All of these symptoms match up. I probably have COVID. What's the point in getting tested? Well, the point in getting tested for COVID is to positively identify the case so that way you can notify others of what might be happening. And that allows you to stop community spread. So when it comes to being able to mathematically look at it, the more data that you have, the better you are at initiating policies that protect public health. It allows you to be able to address things within your community before it becomes a statewide problem or a national problem. Same holds true with the vaccine, Mm. like with Johnson and Johnson, you know, you've got a lot of people that are entering information. Now, the issue there is, is that once again, self-reporting always has its issues. What do I notice that is different uh, since I've gotten the vaccine versus what do I notice that, you know, what do I want to report? You know, for example, when when you when you do a bunch of stupid stuff you hurt all of the time so the question becomes is does the pain that i'm feeling today mm. is that more because of you know the vaccine that i took or is it just you know the weather's changing and my shoulder's fucking shot you know cuz that's a reality for me too and yeah. And unfortunately, without really under, you know, when it comes to the individual and not being monitored by a medical professional, there's only so much data that you know is going to be good. Now, for example, like where I had difficulty breathing, that clearly, you know, from what I could tell, it felt like what it was like when I was sick. And I did not have any problems like that in the many months leading up to when I got that, that shot, Mm. even after I got the first shot, I did not have those issues. So when I got that second shot, I made sure to note that because that's something that happened to me that number one, I felt when I was sick, but hadn't felt in the year plus since I'd been sick and didn't feel after the first dose of the vaccine. Hmm. Self-reporting is always going to have some problems, but when you have medical professionals that get involved, that's when you start to get a little bit more objective data rather than subjective data. And so that's one of those things that we're always going to be up against because subjectively, I always hurt and depending on my mindset, yeah, it's the vaccine. No, it's not the vaccine. But if I'm in the hospital with a side effect, the doctor is going to be like, mm, yeah, that kind of looks like it's most likely an effect from the vaccine itself. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you're just trying, you're on a website trying to come up with something, right? And that's different than somebody saying that's a something. And just really quickly, if you are diagnosed with COVID-19, you you can get the vaccine. You can get the first dose. Um, you have to finish your isolation period of 10 days and then have 24 hours of um, lack of symptoms before you get your second dose. But that was that was basically we don't, we don't want anybody with with uh, symptoms or with with who have COVID to go get the vaccine. 
Um, so just make sure that you're, if you do test positive, you're out of isolation, but there's no requirement, as, as Jason was saying, there's no requirement that you have to wait after your COVID recovery. Just just recover and get out of isolation first. Right. And that's mainly to protect, um, well, first of all, we don't want people getting a bunch of antigen when they're trying to recover from a disease. That's also a way to protect the healthcare providers and other people going to the vaccine clinic, right? Don't go with right. COVID because you might expose and get other sick. Beautiful. So that's that's all the real questions I had. I have a personal question, and that is I have macular degeneration, which is a, a form of an autoimmune um, um, disease. My, my immune system attacked my eyes, causing swelling. I got the vaccine, and I had no symptoms. Do you think I should be reporting that somewhere? Uh, you should, I would strongly encourage anybody who gets the vaccine to be actively reporting okay. how they're feeling and everything to VSAFE or to, uh, the, the system that you can get when you register or when you get a vaccine, sign up for that. And if you say you're feeling good, all the more reason for all the more yeah. reason for us to know if you're feeling good, you should log it still to, um, I love that. To Jeffrey's credit, is like if you know what's going on, still log it because then we can get the right denominators, right? If yeah. a bunch of people are, if the people who are reporting issues are over, like biased towards people who are only reporting those issues, right? And the people who are saying, I'm fine, so I'm not going to bother, that's going to make it look like th situations are much more severe than they actually are. So be part of the experiment, log the fact that you're doing well, log the fact that you're feeling fine so that we have accurate data to be able to make correct assessments for the public. That's beautiful. I want that. That's, and that was the beautiful thing about like that VSAFE program is, is that, mm -hmm. you know, it gave me the, it gave me the opportunity to log what I was feeling and how it was affecting me. So that way, you know, when when this data gets analyzed later by the FDA, they're going to be able to sit down and say, okay, people who got the vaccine, yeah, it looks like pretty commonly getting some sight pain. You know, you know that was definitely right. a thing. Okay, we can we can say that that's that's the thing. But now we can look at what that pain threshold looked like. Mild, okay, yeah, that. I mean, anybody who's ever gotten a tetanus shot knows that getting getting a shot in the arm sucks. Yeah. But if when it starts to be like, okay, now it's affecting me and how I how I am in the day, it gives it gives doctors later who are going to be giving out these shots a little bit more information to say, hey, you know, if you have a certain set of markers, you might run into some issues where you might want to plan for a day off to give yourself some time to recover yeah. if you can, or plan to get a shot on a day when you know you're going to have a day off. Because that's one of the things that we're going to have to keep in mind is, is not, not everybody gets a paid day off in order <laughs> to be able to recover from anything. You yeah. know, that's just the reality of it. So being able to get the best information you can and pass it off to those who need it is going to be really important. Yeah. But then even too things that aren't listed in the VSAFE, like for example, difficulty breathing is not a checkbox that was mm. on the Moderna vaccine. Right. Now, granted, I didn't feel like I was in any sort of danger when I was having difficulty breathing. It's something that is important to log because there are going to be other people out there that have that symptom. Right. And and doctors and Doctors and scientists need to be able to figure out what does that percentage look like, yeah. especially whether or not people may or may not have had COVID. So for, you know, for me where I had difficulty breathing, there's a lot of factors to consider. Number one, I'm pretty sure I had it. As I said, as I said before, I'm pretty sure I had COVID before we knew what COVID was, but number two, I'm also an asthmatic. So it could be that I had, you know, I had COVID. I got that after I got that second shot, I got the breathing issues, bam, yeah. breathing issues. But there could also be a bunch of people, more people out there. It's like, I never got COVID. I'm an asthmatic. I got breathing issues. So then doctors are going to be able to sit down and say, okay, if you're an asthmatic, there is an X percent chance that you might develop difficulty breathing. Right here's what our recommended path is. Here's what you need to be looking out for. And of course, if you feel like your life is in danger, call 911. Right, right. I wonder how many people are under-reporting or over-reporting that giant penis syndrome. You know what I mean? Well, I'm here to report <gasps> it's, that it's, it's massive. Yeah. Ha. I think it's hilarious <laughs> to see. What nice pun there. I, I think it's hilarious to see some people like, 
the reporting, all these kinds of fun things. Like, yeah, there's there's always going to be some people who mess with the data and everything, but right. that's also really valuable for us to know because uh, the percentage of people who actively like throw things in there is also a rough percentage of data that you can discount. Mm-hmm. And that's a really famous data experiment um, that was done on soldiers in Vietnam. Um, about trying to see how much, how, what percentage of them were smoking marijuana that grows widely in the jungles of Vietnam. And it, the design was deliberately inclusive of a bunch of questions that they would just answer as yes naturally. Uh-huh. So that when, you know, they like, uh, you'd be able to discount the like bogus answers from it. So <laughs> I think, so, so it was like you had a hundred, hundred cards, 50 of them had some questions like, is the sky blue or do you like, uh, you know, do you like candy or something like that where you would definitely answer yes. So that, and you wouldn't, the, the, it was blinded so that people didn't know what mm-hmm. the question was. You just pick a card and answer yes. Yes or no. And so 50% of them would just say yes. Well, you discount 50% of the answers, which were yes, and then you get a true uh, nature of the rest. So I think there's something also is like when you have these bogus answers that people are putting into the um, into the vSafe system, that is a proportion that you can actually just subtract because it's like, okay, well, point point three percent of the data is bogus because people are actively putting stuff in so let's get rid of that and that actually corrects for a lot of our data so i think it's a i think it's kind of a cool thing to see is that you can actually quantify the dumbass stuff as well as the smart stuff but i will say as a nine as a nine scientist i i will i will endorse the policy that the vaccine increases the size of your penis but getting COVID shrinks it immensely and so you want to consider that when but i'm not saying dan is saying that i'm saying jason is saying that here's the funny thing funny thing do not endorse that statement no dan did not endorse that statement but here's a funny thing is is that what they have discovered is that people who've gotten COVID are actually there's actually a significant population that is getting erectile dysfunction after having COVID. because guess what if you're not getting good oxygen flow, mm. you're going to have a hard time getting it up. I Reason it. I know this is because, funny enough, uh, so I have sleep apnea and I developed some significant problems with being able to get it up. Mm. Well, when you have a low blood oxygen count and your body's struggling to survive, turns out getting it up isn't a priority for your body. That's right. So if you have COVID related issues that turn into messing with your lungs, (laughs) you're going to end up with issues being able to get it up. So that's actually something that has come up in the data. Interestingly enough. So get your vaccine and make sure your pee pee still works. (laughs) I will endorse that statement. (laughs) So, so one of the best things, I don't know if you're, if you can answer or attest to this or just you have friends that can, one of the best things about this vaccine to me was if there was a point when I learned that there was 110,000 hospital beds in the country and they were all full plus some. And now I'm seeing that about 40,000 of those beds are full. And I think that is so amazing as a de-stressor to our hospital workers. And I don't know, Dan, if you know anybody that that's on the front line in that way, are they feeling it? Are they feeling the, the de-stress? Well, I'm not necessarily on the front line, but my work is definitely in public health response. And I have had the privilege of working with a lot of long-term care facilities that were absolutely wrecked by COVID, not just in the spring, but especially in the winter and like Mm -hmm. late November and into December. And uh, nursing homes, skilled nursing facilities and personal care homes were were some of the first to get like mass vaccination out to the the elderly residents because they were the highest, you know, highest rate of death and by major outbreak were in those facilities. And it, it was just night and day. Like the va- the what we're seeing right now um, is uh, facilities where there's high vaccine rates. There the out there are still people getting COVID because they're not vaccinated. Most people who are getting COVID are not vaccinated. Right. But you have one case that turns into maybe two cases that goes back down to zero over a couple weeks, as opposed to one to two to four to fifteen to sixty. Right. And so I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I can speak personally to the hospital side. The hospitalization rates are substantially down, mm-hmm. but it was really interesting to see not just um, uh, overall like hospitalizations going down, but comparing anecdotally, admittedly, um, long-term care facilities with very good vaccination rates versus those that did not, the, the sizes of the outbreaks that they're still getting, the rates of hospitalizations and deaths that they're getting. Um, it really is showing, you know, I'm seeing firsthand the, um, 
the 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 vaccine well not firsthand secondhand i'm seeing mm-hmm. secondhand through these folks who work there the um the uh the vaccine is really doing its job very well and yes there are still some people who get sick um but the rate of hospitalization and rate of death is so low that we actually have the privilege of studying um like individual deaths of yeah. people who died with the vaccine and then died from COVID, which is very, very rare. And so you can actually be like, okay, what actually happened? And these, 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 you know, government officials are going through death records because we have the privilege of doing that as opposed to just being like, oh, another 50 deaths today. Right. You know? So it's, it's a huge, the vaccine has been a huge change of pace for our focus because it has given us the privilege of being able to get off the like, try to stop from drowning and now we can like navigate the waters of like okay what are these data telling us overall so that's my personal assessment i just love that it's taking that stress off of our front worker frontline workers that way you know i hope they're getting some sleep (laughs) yeah Yeah, a lot of them are still frustrated by the um like being vaccinated and you know still having to wear the mask and still having to do all the lockdowns and yeah all the extra stuff like it is a real it is it is stressful but it's a different type of stress than like having 15 people on a ventilator and three staff members because the rest of the floor got covid like it's a very different it's a different Mm -hmm. ball game a different series of discussions having to happen how do you feel about still having to follow the protocols even though you've been vaccinated um i think obviously it's a good idea um especially in like healthcare settings where you know this masking and distancing and disinfecting is is not just for covid it's standard infection prevention precautions in, mm-hmm. in, in healthcare settings right so i i see no issue with you know the idea of people still being trying to trying to be really safe um and the overwhelmingly when people do get covid um, and when COVID does spread in a facility, it's because of lapses in masking, distancing, disinfecting, and the standard stuff, right? right. It's not a, it's, it's the, the COVID outbreaks are not a surprise anymore. We know what causes them in these facilities and in these settings. It's lapses in infection prevention. Um, and just because you've been vaccinated, it substantially decreases the chance of you um, being able to spread COVID, but it doesn't guarantee that you cannot. And so right. when people start acting like it's a guarantee, that's when you know other lapses happen. And and that's when things get risky. So um, from a public health perspective, I have no issue with it. I think it's just, you know, the fatigue of having to do the masking, distancing, weekly testing, all this other stuff. It's the, right. the fatigue is real and I, I get it. It's 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 hard. Um, and but they were it, they were doing all that. Anyway. <clears throat> they were in the hospital form. They were doing that anyway. But I'm it, I'm talking about movie theaters or baseball games or. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Like. At, at what point do we just have to I, I'm trying to figure out do we exclude people that don't want to get vaccinated do we show our vaccine card are we am I safe in a theater without a mask at some point because I'm vaccinated knowing that somebody in the theater might not be vaccinated these are the things people are really concerned about and I don't know how we so get here's here's my hot take on this the vaccine yeah. the, the, the especially the mRNA vaccines we know that they prevent protect you against covid you know, individually, they reduce substantially reduce your risk of COVID. Right. I think it's a strategic move, and this is going to be taken by some folks being like, ah, it's a conspiracy. Like, I think it's a strategic move by public health officials to say, let's keep the masks on even though you're vaccinated and slowly roll back some of these protocols over time as Mm -hmm. more and more people get vaccinated. So, for example, if we came out and said once the vaccine was available, hey, once you get the vaccine, you don't have to wear a mask or distance anymore. Everyone would say, hey, I have the vaccine, and no one would get vaccinated because there'd be no point right so is it like oh it's all about control well kind of yeah but that's a good thing because if we just said okay screw it when you don't have to do anything anymore and just make it really easy for you to lie about having a vaccine card then Mm -hmm. you're not actually embrace fulfilling the outcome so the output is like number of vaccines the output is the number of people who have to wear masks. The outcome is stopping people from getting COVID, right? And you have to think about the long term. If you, if you have to enact policies that will prevent the, prevent the spread of disease. And it's not just like, you know, just having the science. Like there's the science of the science. And then there's the science of the policy. And they're right. not always the same thing. And it's, it's challenging to be able to navigate both the policy and the scientific, like, world when it comes to, to it so I, yeah. I think it's i think it's a good strategy for people to still you know have to wear masks when vaccinated um in indoor spaces uh, i still think it's a good idea for people to continue doing social distancing not just for COVID, but it's actually preventing a lot of other diseases totally. um, but i see that it's like it's not it's not as simple as like hey we're vaccinated now so we can just go back to normal it's like no we should embrace some of these changes and be more mindful about our health okay. uh, because of the pandemic and prevent more disease 
Okay. Yeah. And mathematically speaking, I mean, we're not at that point where we've had enough vaccine taken in yeah. order to really tamp down spread as it is. Not and and one of the other things that we're still even looking at, too, is, is, is how asymptomatic people may spread the disease. I know that there's been more information on, on, on that, but it's still one of those things where it's like most of our response for the last, you know, year has been just like lock it down as hard as we can so that way we can try and get the hospital some breathing room until we right. get a vaccine. And even still, you know, one of the other issues and concerns that we have out there is variants and breakthrough cases because, you know, like we talked about, you know, nothing is 100% effective. So the question is, is what do we have to do to get as close to that number as we can? And I think one of the factors that even those of us who are vaccinated now have to take into effect is, you know, when variants come through the effectiveness of the vaccine does drop. Mm. Does it drop to a point that leaves us in danger? The answer right now seems to be not really, but from a public health perspective and a mathematics perspective, at least, you know, we still want to get that number as low as possible. Oh yeah. So when you have Pfizer and Moderna working on boosters for variants that are, that are currently the majority and we can get those boosters into arms as well. Mm-hmm. So that way we can stop the spread. And then, then it becomes a mathematical model of predicting what the next, you know, uh, main variant is going to be. So that way we can tool up a response to that. Or you local know. or local. If there's a variant that's hot in Montana, you can create something for Montana as opposed to Illinois, who has a different variant. You know, and that's going to be a little bit tougher and, until unless you have a lot of facilities that are tooling up variants, and that's just not a thing, unfortunately. Right. But you do see cases take over mathematically a country, you know, places where there's more freedom of travel in between. So, like here in the United States, we had the South African and the UK variant, yeah. and I think it was Dan. You can correct me if it was the UK variant. I think is the one that became the dominant variant in the United States. You're correct. So, you know, being able to tool up a response to those variants, you know, and the South African variants, the ones that we see as problematic, like the ones that are clearly evading the protections of, of the vaccine, you know, are we going to see things get closer to normal? Absolutely. Should it be a slow rollback? Public health, I think, is going to have a better understanding of what that rollback looks like, especially as especially as we get uh, boosters produced and in arms. Do I think we're going to get closer to normal as as the end of the year comes? Absolutely. Yeah. And it it all just depends on number one, people's willingness to participate (laughs) in the vaccination effort. Of course. Number two how quickly we can get boosters out for the variants. So that way we have even fewer breakthrough cases, especially like where Moderna is seeing an even greater production of antibodies um, with their boosters. Uh, So Mm -hmm. that's going to be exciting to see because if these are more effective and produce greater um, responses, that that means that we're going to see even fewer breakthrough cases and we can really limit this down as much as possible and start to address whatever else might come through, if at all, if we even need to at all. And and, and the answer is, is yes, we probably will, but it's not going to look like how it has, mathematically speaking. I have a booster question for Dan. Is there, can we, can we put multiple protections for multiple variants into one vaccine like like the flu shot we get in theory yeah um in practice we don't really know how that would work (laughs) um because we we obviously hasn't been tried before but if you're just looking at a purely theoretical situation yeah it could be but the challenge though it would be in vaccine production is like trying to make sure that you have a good mix like Mm -hmm. you're trying to you're trying to make basically these emulsions talked about really early on the show about like the lipids versus the mrna and everything you need to be able to show that you could effectively package multiple mrnas for multiple multiple variants into the different lipid cell lipid like packages right um at a at a uniform enough 
like proportions so that you're you know like everyone's getting the right dosage and that's a challenge right we'd have to see what happens and i'm sure science would be able to figure out a way to do that but mm -hmm. it, it isn't possible in theory but in practice we don't really know how that would work and we don't have any evidence but that's something that we have moderna's actually testing that Moderna's actually testing that with their booster because they're nice. using the Brazil and the South African variant in their booster. And I believe it's like the sequence that they're trying to work on. And I think this is in both. It's the E484K, I believe it is, of uh, mm. specific uh, sequence that they're working on targeting that, that is present in both the Brazil and South, South African variants. Nice. Yeah, I can definitely, again, I can definitely see it working in theory. It's just like, right. how well will it do in practice? Because everything, everything is perfect on a whiteboard. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> when it goes Absolutely. into someone's arms is a very different thing. That's that's the whole reason why pharma is such a such a challenging industry to be in. Like, you can come up with amazing <laughs> ideas and the, the rate of failure is so high, so. Right. Mm -hmm. Dan, Dan, you know what's really scaring me about all this? Measles and whooping cough is on the rise. I think we're ignoring some other things that are going on. Yeah, I mean, there there has been, we definitely need to think more than just about COVID, but that's one of the encouraging things about the mRNA platform of vaccines being developed, right? We can hopefully modernize and improve on vaccines that have been pretty much licensed for 50, 60, sometimes even more than 100 years, the same vaccine, right? Or a very similar vaccine. So there's ways that we can maybe update this, uh, but also being mindful that, you know, in a, in a, a, a one health approach, as we say, like there's lots of different things that we need to be mindful of. And right. that, uh, that's one of the really good things about masking, distancing and washing our hands, right? You know, hand, hand hygiene is the fundamental idea of infection prevention, right? If we are continuing to sanitize our hands and wash our hands and continue to distance like other diseases besides COVID are going to continue to be low. And that's actually something we've seen is that a lot of a lot of a lot of other respiratory infections have been like we didn't have a flu season. We right. did not have a flu season because flu is less transmissible than COVID and whatever worked on COVID worked exceptionally way better on flu. Right. So, and it wasn't from lack of testing because we were testing, maybe not as, as much as we were, but like the rate of decline in, in flu testing relative to the rate of decline of positivity, like mm -hmm. it was definitely like flu was way down. So it's something for us to keep in mind is that these practices in general are, are not just good things for COVID. It's good for, you know, disease Everything. prevention in general. Yeah. Right. So. And then, if I get the COVID vaccine and I need to go get my shingles vaccine, is there a time period I should wait? Should I talk to my doctor about that? Is it just okay to do? I don't. Yes. So the current guidance, at least in Pennsylvania, I don't know about federally, but it's probably the same is that um, you should not, if you get any immunization besides COVID vaccine, you should wait 14 days before getting your COVID shot. So if you get dose one, if you get dose one, you should wait 14 days on either side. Um, so make sure that you're planning that out with your doctor and, uh, and actually like when you go get your vaccines for COVID, um, they ask like, have you gotten any immunization in the last 14 days? And if it, the answer is yes, they will turn you away. And that's not necessarily because it's been proven with causality that these, mm. these co-immunizations are severe. It's just, we want to be on, on the extra safe side. Yeah. So let's be, keep our you know, data clean. Absolutely. Yep. Exactly. Nice. Hey, Dan, why don't you, uh, do you have any, what was the last movie you watched? I like to end this with movie recommendations for some reason. Oh, what was the last movie I watched? That's a good question. Yeah. Hang on, my, my wife is right here. I'll have to ask her. Hey, what you... was the last movie I watched? Was it Outbreak? Oh, it was no. It was we we watched the Hobbit trilogy a few weeks ago. Aww. I just been, always we were my, my wife um did not really get into the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, so she's been very patiently like going along with me. So that's been the that's been the last trilogy. Just trying to show her the we reading the books together and like being able to like it's a nice evening activity just to pull out, out the books and just mm -hmm. read through and talk about it. And then it's like okay, well we finished this book. Let's uh, let's watch the movie. So that. that's what I've been doing. But it's been far too long since I've actually sat down and watched a movie because it's it's been a little busy in the world of public health. And it's not going to get by me. Congratulations on the wedding. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations on defending your thesis too. Yeah. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm now master of science. Um, yeah, welcome, welcome to the fold, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to. I'm happy From one to master there, yeah. of science to another. Oh yes, we're master of science, but that does not make us better than anyone. We need to. No. We have a responsibility to share good science with everyone now. In fact, one of the funniest things that we always said, uh, you know, that our teachers always said to us and that I have continued to, you know, teach my kids is, is that 
master of science doesn't mean that I'm smarter than anybody else. Usually it just means I know how to use Google better than most people. <laughs> Amen to that. That's literally my life. I Googled my way. That's fantastic, right? Google is an amazing resource. It's like a lot of, you know, it's, it, it's not it, using Google really efficiently is a key skill and you can learn it really well, but it can also lead you down some really bad paths into misinformation. Yep. So oh, that's an important me. thing we should be teaching our kids is like how to use search engines really effectively and how to fact check themselves and fact check sources. Yeah, absolutely. We did that in uh, episodes called misunderstanding Mis misinformation, where we talked about links that you should be looking at sources and all of that stuff. So people should check that out. How about you, Jeffrey? What any movie? What was the last movie that I sat down and watched? I think the last movie I sat down and watched was Jurassic Park. Oh, that's right. You said that last week. You don't count. Yeah, I know. I, just, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch any movies. I've actually just been watching anime with the kids. So, because I'm I'm a nerd, I love anime, and I'm really enjoying My Hero Academia with the kids. It's it's a yeah. Show. The new season just started, right? Yes, it did. All right. I just watched The Prophecy with Christopher Walken and Eric Stoltz. I couldn't go to sleep. Like, I put it on so I could go to sleep, and I watched it all the way through. And then I found out there's, like, four more. So <laughs> <laughs> Christopher, Walken is all, Christopher Walken's always a win. Yeah, absolutely. Did you, uh, did you want to say anything in wrapping up, Dan? Did we miss anything? Should we have covered something oh, else? Oh, no, we covered so much. It's, it's been amazing to, to chat with you guys about all this really interesting stuff. And I, I'm just very happy to be able to come on and contribute to your guys' show. And um, I just want to tell everyone who's listening to you know, keep keep on keeping on. You know, Get the vaccine if you can. Continue masking, washing your hands, social distancing, being a responsible public health citizen. You know, For sure. we, we talked a lot about so much, but that's really the same thing as always being mindful and being respectful of the fact that we are still in a pandemic and that we we do have these unforeseen challenges and we are not done with this just because the vaccine is out so continue being responsible continue showing respect for yeah. your fellow americans or wherever you are in the world and, and be that responsible public health citizen so that's I all i have to say if what about not, you jeffrey you know I, I you definitely hit the nail on the head is, is that you know i know that this is this is tough and trying and frustrating i'm one of those people that I'm ready to be done with the damn mask as much as anybody else is. But mm -hmm. the reality is, is, is that, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. And, you know, if, if there is any question about why that is, I say, look at what's happening in India, because there's always the chance that that could be us again. Yeah. And, you know, be a good, uh, pan, you know, a public health citizen to your, to your, your friends, to your community, to your state, to your nation, to the world, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we, we are going to get there. It's going to take a little time. And right now, you know, like, as it has been, time has been our enemy. The more shots we get in arms and the more that we can get out to the rest of the world, the sooner that we do get to go back to doing the things without the mask, the, the sooner that those, those quote unquote liberties that some have felt that have been sacrificed are going to be returned to us. And, and mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's one of those things where the data is showing that what we're doing is working especially as we get vaccines in arms. Yeah. So now it's, let's get, let's keep this going. Let's get more vaccines in arms. Let's get boosters in arms. Let's, let's get back to doing things that we love, like, you know, brought worse at the ballpark during a right. summer game. We can get there and we're getting there, you know, hold on, have faith. We're, we'll do this. Yeah. And use your common sense. If, uh, if my governor says that you don't have to wear a mask, I say, I'm going to wear a mask anyway in the grocery store. But I also am looking for other people that are fully vaccinated. So I don't have to sit at a party with my mask on. But if one person isn't vaccinated, I'm putting my mask on because I believe that I shouldn't take my mask off till everybody can take their mask off. And, and, and also too, just, you know, just to make sure that it's clear, it's, it's, you know, at this point, like, especially if you've been vaccinated, it's not about the worry of getting the vaccine in the right. mask has never been about protecting it from coming into you. Right. It's about protecting other people who aren't vaccinated from you spreading it to them. Right. That is still very much the case. So more vaccines in arms means less need for a mask. That's right. And it's and it's for those who can't be vaccinated. And once we do hit that 70% threshold, I think we're going to see this get a lot better. Yeah. I'm very hopeful for that too. 
until the next one comes around. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it won't be for a while, but hopefully we'll have a, hopefully we will have a lot of data that says what, Man. that tells us what we did, yeah. what worked and what didn't. Right now, and when it comes so, back around, I'll be happy to join back on the podcast to talk about it. Yay. I'm just thinking yeah. that right now, somewhere in the world, there's a, a little baby virus just saying it's my turn and we need to, we need to be careful about all that. We can't think that this is the end all and be all for the next no. hundred years. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I love you guys. Thanks for being here. Too. Thanks. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. My poor little children. Yes, we can. One day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you did. Welcome to Public Access America. Yes, we can. Now on Instagram and SoundCloud. We wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Apple Podcasts, the Stitcher Smart Radio app, Podable, and Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.